We are in the text of Scripture from Matthew uh, chapter 5, verses 10 and 12. Hear the Word of the Lord. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on My account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Word of the Lord. So we're walking all the way through the Sermon on the Mount, which is arguably the only monologue-style sermon that Jesus preached. He basically starts off the sermon by talking about the Beatitudes. And what the Beatitudes are is they are characteristics and qualities that are evident in Jesus' disciples' lives. And so He, he shows us what it looks like to, to tear us down to, to the utter core of who we are and then for us to be built up in Jesus' righteousness in His life. And so he, he, he culminates all of this by saying, listen, the world is not going to receive you. And I want you to know, because you could miss it, that when they reject you, that you're actually blessed. That you're actually filled with joy. That you should actually rejoice when you suffer for righteousness' sake. Soren Kierkegaard once said this, life is lived forward, but only understood backwards. When we think about persecution, oftentimes we think about how could I ever do that? How could I ever stand faithful in those moments? And, and I want to invite you this morning to uh, drop down your guard, to, to, to really stop trying to figure out your life, to stop trying to protect yourself, to stop trying to calculate every decision to relinquish control and cast yourself wholly upon the feet of Jesus Christ and to let His grace sustain you. That's what God invites us to today. Because the promise, and it is a promise, is that blessed are those, happy are those who are persecuted. That's the promise that we cling to. It's not a, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And the question is, will you see your persecution and, and be blessed because of it? That, that's the question that God invites us into. So the big idea of where this whole sermon is kind of pointed to is this. God gives triumphant joy as we share in His sufferings. Today I want to invite a man up to share with you about the surprising story of joy that he's found in the midst of of persecution. So, uh, church, would you welcome our brother Abraham uh, to the stage this morning? Sabah khair. That's good morning in Arabic, by the way. <laughs> I'd like to introduce Abraham Dang to you this morning. Uh, Abraham is a refugee from South Sudan. And he's going to be with us this morning to share a little bit about his story and his journey here. Uh, thank you very much. I hope uh, all of you are um, blessed knowing that this is the day that the Lord has made. And I will rejoice and be glad in it regardless of what is waiting for me outside there. Amen. Abraham, uh, 
would love to hear your story of how you came to faith. And uh, I had the opportunity to hear Abraham's story a few weeks ago, and it almost brought me to tears. And it's really a powerful story of how God has worked in and through his life and the joy that he has experienced as a result of the persecution that God has allowed him to endure. Well, um, my story started as all of us. You know, God started chasing me down, and I, I, I was very good in running away from him. But at the age of 17, I was raised as a Catholic. And at the age of seven, I really started understanding the meaning of the sin. But at the age of seven, it took me 10 years to understand uh, that God loves for me. And that's on April 1991, that when I first heard about the full plan of salvation and that Jesus came to save me. And that was in Micah 7:19. that way he say, I, I will remember your sin no more. And I didn't hear that before. So I, I make a decision that day to accept the Lord as my Savior on, on April um, 19, 1991. So Abraham, as I understand it, soon after you became a believer, God brought you through a journey that was unexpected. Well, yeah, that, that is very true. You know, after I accepted the Lord, uh, there were a discipleship program, and uh, that was in April. In roll about June of that year, we went to this summer camp. They, they call them camp, yeah, but we call them a training conference. And after five days, we were asked who want to go out for the, for the mission outreach. And the mission outreach is not to the southern part of Sudan, which was a predominantly Christian. It was to the northern part of Sudan were uh, predominantly Muslim. So we were selected. Each group had five to seven people. And uh, we had a meeting. They give us a ticket one way. And uh, no money for food and no health insurance. So they gave us a bunch of book and Bible. And we were to go for two weeks. No contact person there. Maybe there's no church. And so we were sent to the northern part of Sudan, and the other team went to the other part of, the, of Sudan. So we went there. Um, we arrived there. It took us two days, and we arrived to the city called Karima. That was the first city we went to. We were seven of us, five guys and two girls. So we reached in the market. And so the first thing you have to do you set your Bible there to sell them, and we start singing and preaching because people have to buy the Bible in order to get the money to eat. People have to buy the Bible in order for us to get the ticket to go back. And so, and hopefully by preaching in the market, you will find somebody who say, come over to stay with me because we have no contact. So we stood there in the market in the middle of nowhere. We start singing. People start gathering, and we start preaching the gospel. And as we start preaching the gospel, they understood, oh, these are Christian. So people divided into two now. Uh, some people say, don't listen to the Christian, they're infidel. And the other people, they are listening to the message of love of God. They never heard it before. And so that caused a conflict between the two. And before we know it, the government was involved, the police, the security. And we had our first host night. We were invited to go stay in the jail. So we say, God, thank you, because we, we at least we secured the first night out. We have a place to sleep. 
And then God, in his own miraculous way, intervened. The, the, the officer who was responsible for it came and asked why these people are here, and they told him what we did. And so uh, he found out, said, these people were not cursing you out, were not abusing you know, or saying anything about Islam, so let them go. And he offered us to stay in his house, so we stayed in his house for the next three weeks for free. And with the protection, we continued to preach the gospel until we came back safe. So I'm sure as you went out on this initial journey, you never imagined that you would end up in prison and that God would provide for you that way. No, we didn't know that. We thought everything was going to be like you know, a red carpet. And uh, <laughs> because, you know, like, because, because you never think that, okay, I'm bringing you the good news, the, you know, the, 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 the life. Uh, the message that has life, and then you're going to end up putting me in the jail. But the good thing is, uh, even though they took us to jail, we, we were never mad at them, you know. We were rejoicing, we were happy, and we were praying for them, and, and God showed up there. You were sent out on another mission journey, and one that brought even further hardship than perhaps you would imagine. And uh, tell us a little bit about that and how you felt being sent out again, recognizing that... <laughs> You wouldn't know what was going to happen. Well, you, you will expect, okay, like, okay this, if this is what I experienced now, uh, uh, the, this thing of Jesus, let me just do it on my own, myself with me. But uh, in 92, I was asked to go again now to an area that nobody ever been before, no Christian mission or outreach been before. And they told me, Abraham, you now, you're a veteran, so you go there. So they gave me another guy to be with me. And so it took us another two days journey. And before we entered this, that city, I, I little that I know that my name was already there. So the security officer came and said, Abraham Deng. Okay, can you come bring your, your things here and the guy there with you? So we came down, they let the bus go, and they searched everything. There were nothing but Bible in it. And they told me, what are you doing here? And I told them, well, I'm here to preach the gospel. And say, who sent you? I'm like, what do you mean, who sent me? You know, the Lord, I, I believe in it. This message I have to share with other people. So they say, well, you're going to have to stay with us some few days. And a few days turned out to be three days. I thought it was a nice staying. But uh, they made me stay there. It, it was in the desert part. If you know the geography of Africa, like you know, northern part of Sudan is the Great Sahara. So they put me there in the desert because they have no prison, decent prison. So they put me in the desert there. And we stayed there uh, the night. And the next morning, they call uh, no, a, a general in the army. Uh, it's a colonel to come and investigate me, interrogate me. Again, why are you here? Why are you preaching the gospel? I say, hey, it's the life. You know, Jesus commanded us to do so. And all this time I was smiling at him. He's like, why you continue smiling at me? I said, well, because why should I be mad at you? So he ordered for me to be put in the desert there. It is a summer, it's hot. You think Atlanta is hot, it's not. You think Arizona is hot, it's not. I was there in that heat all day, no water, and nothing to cover my head. And while I was there, I was singing all time. And I, honestly, to be, to be honest, I did not even feel the heat of the sun. I was not even sweating. And I'm singing. 
throughout the day and the end like late at night at 12 when like everybody is sleeping only the, the guard one of the soldiers approached me and he brought me like a water in, like in that battle with a small cup do we drink say you drink this water and i look at him and I'm like okay thank you and then he removed his shirt and he, and he showed me like you know a, a tattoo here he's a coptic he said i'm a christian too but I cannot share with other people. Nobody knows that I'm a Christian. But you singing all day really encouraged me to come and share this with you, that you have uplifted me. I'm like, well, that's, that's okay, that's fine. I, I didn't have anything to tell him anyway, because he cannot help me. So he went back and I continued singing all night in the morning. They came to me, I was still in the same spirit, happy. And they're like, you know what? We will send you back. And they sent me back without allowing me to finish my, uh, my mission. But uh, those three days were very good. Yeah. I don't know that I would call that very good to be <laughs> left in the desert, but uh, I think it's very good that you experience unexpected joy through the midst of persecution. And understand that you had a friend who was stoned for his faith and left oh. to die. And, oh, yeah. And, and also your father-in-law experienced uh, persecution that uh, where he saw God provide in a miraculous way. Yeah, you see, you see, some of the promises of God would not really experience them until we apply the commands of God in our life. And so when Jesus say in, 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 in the Great Commission that, hey, I will be with you always, yeah, that, that is, is, is right. And so my father-in-law was a missionary in Libya for over 25 years. And in Libya, before Gaddafi was killed, just to find you with a, like a gospel truck, a gospel truck, not a Bible, you will go to jail for life. So my father was there. They managed, I don't know how they did it, to smuggle the Bible in to him. And so he was in Tripoli. And so he wanted to take this Bible now to a village south part of Libya, so two bucks of the Bible, so he get in the bus with his friend, and they go down through a checkpoint, and they, when they were about to get to that village, the security found out that they have the Bible. And they're like, do you understand what this Bible means to you? And he's like, yes, it's the word of God. He's like, no, <laughs> that's a wrong answer. Having this Bible mean that your head would be cut off. And I'm like, well, if that the final result, there's no other way. I cannot deny that this is the Bible. While they were doing this, they want to execute them right in the spot. The officer that was responsible for that checkpoint was doing something somewhere else, but somehow something told him to leave what he's doing and come back to his station. And so he came back driving fast as he can. And when he got there, he went straight to his office and said that there are two people here that you had arrested them. Let me see them. I go, we didn't call you. How do you know that? They brought them to him. And they're like, uh, where, where are the, the, their books? And they brought the books. And like, why are you arresting them? They say, well, these are the, the Bible. And like, these are not Bible. You guys cannot see. These are just regular books. And everybody was like, are you blind? Do you need glasses? I, it, so he, I don't know what happened there, but it 
surely that Jesus came and blind them or whatever he did to them, he knows. We will go know that when we go to heaven. But he let these people go and he took them in his car and drove them, make sure that this Bible get to the village. And this is a Muslim officer. And so really Jesus is in the midst, when you seem like, okay, this is the end. I am dying, I'm about to write my will. Jesus is like, uh -uh, I'm not done with you yet. And he showed up there, and that is really the promises that he said that I will be with you till the end of time. He, he showed up in every time that you think that this is the end, I'm going to die. But he, he gave you another chance. Wow. It's, uh, it's hard to comprehend how he saw God provide in a way that was unexpected and the joy that he experienced as a result. And I know uh, hearing your story that you endured further persecution that ultimately caused you to flee Sudan, uh, realizing that you couldn't uh, remain there any longer, and uh, you were granted refugee status, mm -hmm. came to the United States, and you ended up living in Clarkston. And uh, as we know, Clarkston is really close to here, very diverse, uh, very different than South Sudan. And uh, somehow through that, you uh, got connected to Friends of Refugees. So tell us what life was like uh, for you to adjust uh, to life in the United States. Well, uh, after that, so many arrests and uh, being beaten, you know, the last one was in 95, where they drove us out by the army. Uh, they came to the church and they drove us out because of that. It was no longer safe for me to be there because imagine everywhere you go, your name is there, you know, in the checkpoint. So I left Sudan and then I was, uh, I came to United States. Yeah, in, in, uh, I went to Syria actually before that. And then from Syria, we were uh, brought to the United States here yeah, and I came to Clarkson. And, and then where I met uh, the, the French of, of refugee. And Clarkson were like, okay, uh, I'm here now. What is it? Really, my mind was so occupied with, okay, God, what do you want me to do here? You see. And so when we find a lot of refugees, it really opened a lot of doors because some of these people in their countries, I would never be able to talk to them. You know what I mean? So, but when I find them in, in Clarkson in that area, it, it was a really good opportunity. We came in and started a ministry uh, for Sudanese where we reach out even to, we, talk, we reach out to some Somali sometime and we, uh, to some Muslim and a lot of them now are, are become Christian and some of them went back to their countries as missionaries. One of the guy who was a Sudanese, he's a Muslim, now he's back to Sudan as a missionary. And so it, it was great get, getting to know the uh, friends of refugee and the doors God is opening in Clarkson to, to reach out to non-Christian. So many of us will be going to Clarkston in a couple weeks to uh, help uh, engage refugees and learn more about their stories and to uh, work with some children there through a fall festival. Uh, as we go to Clarkston, what are some things that we should be looking for as we meet refugees? What are some things about their stories that we can connect with personally? I will, I will really say that just pray that day, God, as I go out, Show me the person that you want me to connect with. Show me the person that you want me to talk to. Show me the person that you want me to share the love of God with. And being mindful throughout that, that day of activities, 
God will lead you to that, to that person and you would never know the, the transformation that could happen in that person's life by listening to them and share the love of God with them. That could change the entire life of that person, even the entire country of that person where they came from. Well, in hearing uh, the rest of Abraham's story, I was able to hear about how this impacted his relationship with Christ. As you can imagine, it drew Abraham to the scriptures in a powerful way. Uh, His prayer life was one of utter dependence upon Christ, and Abraham experienced joy that I've never experienced personally in my life. So, Abraham, thank you for sharing your story with us this morning. Thank you, thank you. So we're going to transition now uh, into just unpacking this a little bit more for ourselves. And and the the place that I want us to go to is I want us to look at the broader context of persecution because persecution is one of many types of of suffering and affliction and opposition. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to to flip it to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And uh, we're going to look at verses 5 through 18. I just want to draw out a few things uh, to kind of to kind of give us some um, hooks to hang our hat on as we uh, may become more aware of opposition that's all around us, and God may give us confidence to to endure with great hope. Second Corinthians four five through eighteen. Listen to what what Paul writes about this. He, he says this: For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said. Let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. Perplexed but not driven to despair. Persecuted but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. The death is at work in us, but life in you, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written. I believed and so I spoke. We also believe, so we also speak. Knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into His presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. And listen to this. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look to the things, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now, I could spend two months going through this passage and not do it justice. So I'm going to hit on a couple of high points here that, uh, uh, that, that I hope will be helpful for us. Paul is he's celebrating the sustaining grace of God in the midst of affliction. And what we see about what Paul shares with us 
is that there's a great promise tucked into opposition, to adversity, to persecution, to suffering, to affliction. There's a great promise. And it's this, that we gain far more from those things than they take from us. But the, the, the issue is we'll never know unless we faithfully experience them. If we, if we, if we don't flee any opposition. There's no other way to grow in Jesus Christ and to mature in the faith except through adversity, opposition, suffering, and persecution. There's no other way. There's also no other way for the Gospel to go forth. It's how the Gospel goes forth. I think so many times we are confused about how the Gospel goes forth. There is a battle waging war all around us. And we are proclaiming that there's another way to live and it's not in and of ourselves. We'd be foolish to think that the flesh that surrounds us would not be opposed to that. But it's the only way to live. So let's press into verse 7 a bit here. Paul says this in verse 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay. What's he saying there? Well, jars of clay in the Scripture is another way to describe human Weakness. So, so he's saying we've got this treasure, this, 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 um, this prize, this, this, uh, this, this goodness and this joy and this light is what he's talking about there that, that no amount of money could ever purchase. But it's hidden in this breakable piggy bank. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's hidden in there. So, so why is it hidden in there? Why, why God, do you make us so weak, but you entrust so much to us? Why would you do that? The answer is right in verse 7. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So when you are broken, and when you suffer, Jesus is making Himself known to the world around you and to yourself. And it's why you can come to this place where you say, God, I don't know what You're doing. But I trust You right now. I don't know why I'm experiencing this. I don't know why I have this illness, this, this sickness. I don't know why I feel so weak. I thought when I came to you that I would have it all together. That I could promote this posture of strength to the world around me. To, to be a mighty apostle in your name. To, to, to send forth the Gospel. But yet, He hides the light of the Gospel in very feeble and broken individuals. And Paul was all about talking about this. In 2 Corinthians 12, he says... He has this thorn in his flesh that we talk about a lot. And Paul says, hey man, I think the best way, God, for the Gospel to go forth is if you just take that away. I mean, people can see that you've healed me. And then I can be strong in what I'm doing. <laughs> God says, no, that's not the way that it works. For, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So the equation for God's power and His strength to be prominent in your life is for you to be weak. This is why when you hear an Abraham story, that when he endured affliction and persecution, and it's, it's way worse than what he told you today, by the way. I don't know if you know that or not, but it's, it's way worse. And his family members and his friend, the guy that had all of his fingers cut off, one of his best friends. It's way worse. But the joy is so much more than you could ever imagine. We have this treasure in jars of clay so that God can display His power in us. But we have these false facades all around us of strength and health and money. And um, 
And the problem is, is those false facades that we like to keep up with um, <clears throat> are actually paradoxical to the lifestyle that God wants to produce in us to display His power. And so, so it's, it's quite possible that we could be pursuing a lifestyle that, that is opposed to God's strength being uh, displayed in us. Does that make sense? It's possible that we could be pursuing that. So I have a question for you today. Are you pursuing a lifestyle that may become an idol to you that is opposed to the strength of God being displayed not only for yourself, but also for the world around? This is why Paul says in Philippians, you know, I know how to have little, I know how to have a lot. I've learned how to be content in those situations because all of it belongs to you. But God is desperately desires for you personally to know His strength to be renewed day by day as Paul talks about here, but also for the world around to have to come to you when you're singing in the desert when it's over 100 degrees and say, man, why are you singing? Why are you singing in jail? And it's, it's, what, it's what Peter and Paul say when they're thrown in prison in Acts 4. They're thrown in jail and they say, you know, we... we uh, they basically command them not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus. We're going to show these guys. We're going to shut this Christianity thing down. And they said, listen, whether it's right in God's sight or not for us to speak in the name of Jesus, we're just here to tell you that we can't help it. We're just here to tell you we can't help it. What would it look like, New City Church, for us to be we can't help it kind of people? For the Gospel to bleed through our bones and our words in such a way that nothing can take it away. I tell you what, if you're having trouble sharing the Gospel, when your life becomes like that, you will have no trouble sharing it. You won't have to think about tactics for evangelism. It will bleed forth from your life. Jesus wants to give you that kind of joy this morning. To give you that kind of assurance. To give you that kind of hope in the midst of the adversity that you experience. And, and I don't want to belittle the, the adversity that we experience because we do experience. It looks a little different, but it's there as well. Verse 8, let's keep going. This ver verse 8 kind of teases out the different opposition that we see. Uh, he, he says this, we are uh, afflicted in every way, but not crushed. So, so, so the promise is this, what is happening in your life feels like it's crushing your bones and grinding them apart. It feels like that in this moment, whether it's a physical condition or whether it's a relationship that is absolutely crushing and oppressing your spirit. It feels like you're being crushed, but you're not crushed because your strength comes from another place. He goes on to say, perplexed, but not driven to despair. Perplexed. You know what that means? Bewildered. I am so thankful that Paul had a category for the unknown. You know what I mean? I'm so thankful that he had a category that was like, this is the junk drawer. I don't know what's going on here, but God's doing something with that. Because I have those things in my life, right? You have those things in yours. Those, those things where you're like, I have no idea what you're doing in my family. I have no idea what you're doing with my kids that I raised the same way as all my other ones. And two of them are running off the rails and chasing chasing the world. I have no idea what you're doing. But I, but, I, but I trust in you. While you are bewildered and you experience despairing moments, you will not ultimately be driven to a life of despair. That's the promise. Because the light of the Gospel lives in us. He goes on to say, persecuted, but not forsaken. 
Persecuted means to, to hasten after, to chase after. People are coming after you because you follow Jesus. Some of you have experienced this. I've experienced this in smaller scales. When I came to faith as a, as a, a, you know, a 15-year-old or however old I was, um, I, I played baseball. And, and all of a sudden, it was like this transition where baseball was no longer my God, but Jesus was. And, and so my life began to change. And, and at the moment, it seemed terrible. I lost all of my friends. I lost them all because I, I no longer ran in the same circles and so I would get jabs every single day. And so I kind of endured through a lot of tears and a lot of frustration from being cut off from, from these guys. And then, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years later, in my hometown, I see some of my friends leading these guys to Christ. I get a phone call from Ben. Ben says, hey man, I know I really gave you a lot of trouble when you became a Christian. I just want you to... I just want you to know that your story impacted me even though you didn't know it at the time. And he came, bowed his, bowed his knee to Jesus, and, and he's a follower of Jesus. I, I wasn't there to experience that with him, but it happened. And, and the suffering was a part of the story. So your suffering is not only speaking to your own growth in Jesus, but it's also speaking to a world around you. How well do you endure? You're not forsaken in those moments. Uh, the, he also says this, struck down, but not destroyed. Now, Abraham was physically struck down. Others are physically struck down every single day in other parts of the world. And some people are physically struck down in this country. When you're struck down, whether it's physically, whether it's spiritually, whether it's emotionally, you will not ultimately be destroyed because you have someone advocating on your behalf that is much stronger than you. Jesus intercedes for us and His Spirit brings comfort to us in those moments. And church, I'm here to declare to you today that the but not of these Scriptures, persecuted but not forsaken, Struck down, but not destroyed. The but not is the anthem of the Christian's life. It is who we are. The but not is the power of the Holy Spirit to sustain you in the midst of opposition. And so, we don't go looking for it, <laughs> but it's going to come our way as we live out the life of Jesus. And we need to come back to these Scriptures because all around us, we are tempted, as, as Paul says in, in these verses, we are tempted to lose heart. Are you tempted to lose heart this morning? Whatever you're enduring right now. Or maybe you've experienced nothing but losing heart because you're not yet a follower of Jesus. Jesus, here's what He says to those who are weak and those who suffer. He says in, in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Are you weary and heavy laden from the grind of your life? Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Let me carry the burden for you. He says, for my burden is, is easy and my yoke is light. Come to me and experience that type of freedom in the Gospel. Because we can't trust appearances. We can't trust the outer self. And this is what Paul says. He says in verse 16, we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, 
If you're living for Jesus Christ, your outer self is going to be wasting away. Whether it's a, it's a physical thing that, that you are experiencing from an illness, whether it is something that is inflicted upon you from stress or from people coming against you, you are going to waste away. But that is not the final say over your story. Megan and I were unexpectedly at two funerals this weekend out of state. And uh, both of them could, godly men. One of them, a man that had his grandchildren over that day and, and he went to sleep that night and he got up in the middle of the night and he collapsed and had a massive heart attack. Gone. At 56. We're going to waste away, but the question is, are we being renewed day by day while we live on this side of heaven? And as we trust in Jesus, He promises to renew us day by day by day. And then I love what he says in verse 17. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Possibly the most rich statement in all of the Bible. For this, this light and momentary affliction, I know it seems really tough what you're experiencing, but it is working It is working all of who God is into all of who you are. That's what the eternal weight of glory is. It's a way to describe all of who God is, all of His worth, and all of His significance. God is working into you through opposition, through suffering, through pain. To be a Christian is to suffer. C.H. Spurgeon once said it like this, when you cannot trace His hand, you must learn to trust His heart. And church, 90% of the time in life, you're not going to be able to trace His hand and that's okay because He has a trustworthy heart. Amen? He does. So a few things I just want you to grab as we close out this here. God is working His eternal weight of glory into us on earth. Heaven, the prayer that we pray, the disciples' prayer in Luke, Matthew 6, Luke 10 or 11, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is how His kingdom is coming in our hearts. He is working His eternal weight of glory into our hearts and through our lives and most of the time through opposition and suffering. That is how His kingdom is coming in. And you need to know that it's never meaningless. That as Romans 8.28 says, that, that all things work together for the good of those who love God, and are called according to His purpose. Not just the things that you want people to see. All things. All things. All things are working for you an eternal way to glory beyond comprehension. That is what Jesus has come to do. His Spirit is doing in us. Secondly, God uses affliction, suffering, and persecution to display His power in you. So, so to run away from that is to run away from the power of God. Thirdly, His glory is revealed most when our weakness is displayed most. Paul tried to run away from it. God wouldn't let him off the hook. I don't expect that He'll let you off the hook either. He wants to display His glory. He wants you to know His power. To experience the fellowship of His suffering. Fourthly, the byproduct of God's glory being worked into us is joy. This is joy. This comes back to the beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Rejoice and be glad, he says. It's crazy. 
You're not going to have joy until you get there, okay? You're not going to have the joy for that day until you get into the moment. But God is sure to give it to you. It's good. You can take it to the bank. Lastly, our confidence is found in the unseen, not what is seen. So continue to see things waste away and watch the confidence that you have in Jesus and His love for you grow and grow. Now in Acts 4, when Peter and James, or sorry, Peter and John say, hey, we can't help. We can't help but speak in His name. I hope that's not a problem. You know, I, we can't help it. They, go, they, they get released because they don't know what to do with these guys. And when they get released, they go back to this group of disciples in the house church that they're in. And they say, hey guys, can you please pray that we could get out of Jerusalem as quickly as possible? Can you please pray that, that we, you know, we could go to Samaria? Could we go somewhere else because this, the hostility is just overcoming us? No. You know what they pray for? Boldness. They pray for boldness that the gospel would be declared and they would be reminded of the promises of God. So church, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to lead us in a prayer of boldness. Because I think it is our response. And I am, I am eager to see God reveal Himself to us in greater measure every single day that we follow Him and for the world around us to see the light of Jesus Christ living in and through our weakness. Let's pray together. Our Father, we... We come to You and we ask, uh, oftentimes we ask God that You would, that you would, you would take away the suffering. And, and I, think, I think that's okay to ask that. Um, Paul asked that in the Scriptures. But Lord, the problem comes when, when You don't take it away and we begin to lose heart. We, we begin to feel like we are forsaken and left alone and abandoned. And God, God, I pray that You would, would grant a greater measure of faith in our lives. You would give us that gift in the moments that we don't get what we think we, we need. So God, would You give us a boldness to proclaim and declare and to demonstrate the Gospel of Jesus where we live, where we work, where we play, where we experience life, God. And with the boldness, not crassness, but boldness, the boldness and confidence that we have and assurance that we have in You, would that work something in us and through us, God? Lord, I pray for those in here that, that, are, that are really, that maybe even terrified to, to, to mention Your name in a place other than church. God, I pray that You would help them take a step in the direction of boldness this week. Uh, Lord, I pray for those who are not confident in their understanding of who You are. God, would You reassure them and equip them for every good work that You have in store for them. Lord, I pray for those that are suffering right now all over the world. God, would You comfort them with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray for those that are, that are suffering right here at home as well that they would have a joy that is undescribable as they follow You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.